Welcome back to the Lessons for Tomorrow podcast, the motivational poster in your ear. I'm your guest host, Arlen Royba, partner manager at AmericanEagle.com. In this episode, we're going to be diving into sales tax complexity and compliance from both a local and global perspective. To discuss this, I am joined by special guest speakers from Avalara, Kate Bacholsky and Brian Kelly, joining us remote. So, Kate, why don't you and Brian tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, thanks so much for having us here. Very exciting to be with you in my homeland here in the Chicago area. Always good. What to... part? What part? I grew up in Alsip. Alsip. Anybody from Alsip out there? Kate's your girl. That's right. Next to Worth the Friendly Village as you're driving along that corridor of 294. Uh, but no, it's great to be here. So yeah, I'm Kate Boholsky. I've been a sales executive at Avalara for a few years now and have been uh, part of the AvalaraAmericanEagle.com partnership pretty much since the beginning of my time there at Avalara. And so my role is um, to help all kinds of customers from all kinds of industries, um, particularly those that are selling via e-commerce and are U.S.-based. Fantastic. Brian, now why don't you give us a little spiel about yourself here? All right. So I'm here from a remote area called Philadelphia. So I'm not in the Chicago area. I'm not familiar with the area, but I am the solution specialist when it comes to global services. So all things international. I've been in the international e-commerce business for 10 plus years now. So when I came to Avalara two plus years ago, I focused strictly on the global portion of things. Amazing. Well, we want to thank you both for coming and joining us. And I know we've got some great questions that we want to dive into, but before we kind of get into all of that, can both of you kind of just give us a general overview of Avalara, who you are, what you do, things along those lines? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. So at our core, Avalara is a software compliance company that provides sales tax compliance solution for small, mid-sized, and enterprise businesses. And we are coming up on our 20th anniversary. Very exciting. And in our 20 years, we have listened to our customers' needs and have added quite a bit to our products and services and our overall portfolio. So today, we confidently pride ourselves as compliance experts. And at the core of what we do is we calculate sales tax accurately. But really, um, as you'll hear from Brian, we do this across all kinds of tax globally. And we also streamline and automate the entire sales tax and global tax process from helping businesses understand where they need to be registered, getting them registered, managing their tax, managing tax-exempt certificates, helping them remit the money back to the state. And we also have a team of professionals that guide customers and businesses in making decisions by giving them access to a law library that has every single possible answer under the sun that comes to global tax. So that's pretty much who we are. Amazing. Sounds like there's a lot that goes into tax there, a wide range. And I'm assuming there's a lot of change that goes into tax. So I guess maybe to kick things off here is what do you anticipate happening, you know, within the United States with sales tax over the next couple of years? Is there a common theme or a trend that you're noticing or anything that you can kind of share along those lines? Yeah, no, that's, I mean, that's a loaded question. But I think the overarching theme is change. There is nothing consistent about U.S. sales tax. In fact, we like to say at Avalara that's been the only thing consistent is change. I had a Canadian customer tell me recently, there's nothing united about the United States sales tax. And I told him I was absolutely going to steal that line and use it over and over again. So here I am broadcasting his line. So 
I don't know, I should give him a dollar uh, proceed or something, at least per, every time I steal it. of that quote. <laughs> yes, yeah. exactly. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think really, like anything, as economies change, sales tax sure. also will change, right? So we know states have to react to that change, no matter what it is. A great example is the digital world. We anticipate a lot of changes to come over the next few years when it comes to taxation of everything digital. But it applies to things like banner ads and search engines. And you can bet that some of the big dogs like Facebook and, and Google went ahead and uh, initiated some lawsuits sure, after that law course, came out, right? So we know that, of course, those Fortune 1000 large companies are going to be affected. But every business of every size is also affected by these. And for a company like Google, Facebook, that's a negative change. But, you know... When I'm walking through a store, anytime I see an increased tax, I'm like, oh, another one. Or I have some kind of negative light with that tax. And, you know, maybe speaking from the, the perspective of our customers who are seeing a positive change in their online presence, increased sales, conversions, you know, what are some positive changes that they can look at when it comes to tax versus, you know, that negative connotation that comes with tax changes across the United States? Yeah, gosh, that's a great question. So I'll start by, actually, there was a recent survey that um, Avalara released with the accounting information site called CPA Trendlines. I think it came out about a week or two ago. And they surveyed accountants, and they got back about 500 or so responses. And they sent this out specifically to businesses um, making around or less than $40 million a year revenue or under 1,500 employees. And they asked these accountants what do you predict to come? Mm -hmm. Is there positive things to come of this? Is, is, is What's the economy going to look like for these businesses? And um, one of the results that they found out on was that they think the majority of businesses will be affected negatively. And one of those key features will be inability to hire new employees. Mm -hmm. So, but back to your question of how is that positive? Well, one of the positive things they said is that, well, technology will be easier for these folks to implement as time goes on. And so that is definitely a good a good feature there. And they know that these customers will be able to, you know, adapt to technology and change. Also, what I'll say, too, is we're seeing maybe some trends with these states and their economic nexus laws trying to streamline things and maybe make mm -hmm. it a little bit easier for these businesses. Um, in fact, I think it's coming up here in July, the state of South Dakota is removing the 200 transaction threshold. So instead of having an economic nexus threshold of $100,000 in sales or 200 separate invoices, they're trying to make it a little easier and they're removing that. So we wonder if some other businesses will do some of those same things to try to simplify their laws. I believe there's some things happening in Arizona and some talk of various changes, including making a, a little bit easier for um, businesses by giving them a little bit more time before they have to register and start collecting tax in their state. But over in Europe, and Brian, you can probably comment on this better than me, we're seeing some countries, uh, Italy and Spain and the UK, I believe, banning or taxing certain plastic packaging. And so I'm a big fan of the environment mm -hmm. and helping the environment. And again, as Economies change, the world's reacting to the environment. You know, we can expect some sales tax related things to change there too. 
like in an attempt to recoup um, transportation funds. So my kids and I used to play a game called Tesla. And every time you saw Tesla, it was kind of like the old punch bug game. The old game. punch buggy, what color? Yes, that, right? I, I got a lot of bruised shoulders playing that game when I was a kid. <laughs> exactly, but. exactly. And so it's almost to the point where we can't even play that game anymore. Because all you see is Tesla. That's it. Yep. They're everywhere, right? Well, think about it. Think about the fuel tax that these states are and federal government's missing out on, right? Mm -hmm. So we do think that they're going to get creative and try to recoup some of those funds. And so we've seen that happening in a couple of states. So Colorado was the first to do it. They came out with what they call a retail delivery fee, which is essentially a way to kind of source funding for roads and transportation and things. And so there's all these different rules and all these different laws. Um, but basically, we're going to see more online orders. Sure. We just talked about that yep. earlier today is shopping online and mm -hmm. everybody having access to your uh, Amazon, Amazon Prime. Prime <laughs> yeah. So uh, you go into my order history, you see about 15 different things, all of which are not relevant to me. Um, so that retail delivery tax would probably hit me pretty hard in Colorado. It's a good thing I'm here in Illinois <laughs> exactly. for right now. Though. Well, guess what, Arlen? Unfortunately, other states are uh, are thinking about enacting this as well. Uh, Minnesota in January of 2024, they are also coming out with a retail delivery fee. So don't move there either. So I'm still safe for at least six months is what you're telling me. <laughs> you're safe. Yeah. Don't move to Minnesota okay. or Colorado. You'll no no okay plans on that yet. But yeah. I guess I'll just have to state hop until I eventually get caught with exactly, those. Exactly. Exactly. But yeah, I mean, I think that, again, you know, it's it doesn't mean it's a bad thing. You just, as a seller, you just have to be aware right. of these changes and you have to have a process in place to streamline it. And you have to have be able to be aware of these things. So very challenging, but not necessarily negative. Yeah, no, that's great. Uh, it's great information for me to know, like I said. I could be impacted very shortly about that, but we'll see. Uh, one thing that I've been kind of hearing about is this sales tax holiday in Florida. Now, when I think of the word holiday, I think of a fun time spent with family. I don't think of a sales tax. Why is this potentially going to ruin my holiday if they're putting a tax on it? Please expand <laughs> on that. Oh, my gosh. That's great. So, yeah, uh, you definitely have uh, you got to twist that a little bit differently, I think. Um so what a sales tax holiday means, and there's about 18 states, I think, that have them, is for a certain period of time, whether it's a day, a weekend, a month, a year, things that are normally taxable are not. Oh. Yeah. So literally last week, uh, Florida just enacted into law 30-something uh, sales tax holidays for this year. Some are coming up. And so you have to just be aware as a seller, not so much you traveling there as a buyer, although you might want to take advantage. Yeah, hold on. This is <laughs> this is getting into territory for customers too. Exactly, exactly. Well, and if it's interesting, it's it's some of it is regional. So Florida, one of the sales tax holidays has to do with disaster preparedness. Sure. And down in Puerto Rico, I believe they have a law either this year or next year um, where portable generators are tax exempt. So kind of makes sense, right? Yeah. Hurricane Alley down there, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, over in Texas, Memorial Day weekend, I actually um, sent a text to my brother and sister-in-law that live there to give them the heads up that um, lots of things having to do with um, water conservation sure. in Texas were tax exempt 
for that weekend. Interesting. So rain barrels, soil, plants, um, soaker hoses, things of that nature. So, yeah. And then um, other states most commonly have sales tax holidays around like back to school time. Sure. Time to, to you know buy clothes for the kids and back to school backpacks and things like that. And so, again, just as a seller, you just have to know if it affects you and how are you going to be able to handle it. Right. So maybe going on the opposite side from a consumer's perspective like myself, you know, I would want to be aware of these. How are you guys kind of speaking to customers here and what are they saying to you around some of these complexities and maybe some of the awareness that they might not have and how can they get that awareness for these? Yes, uh, that's an excellent question. So again, I talked to all kinds of businesses from all different industries. And sometimes it's a small startup company or just a small two, three person company. Other times it's a company that has a CFO, a controller, an assistant controller, and a whole entire finance team. And what I find is doesn't matter what your role is or how big or how small you are, even if you know these businesses still struggle to keep up with the changes, right? Back to my initial mm -hmm. answer to your initial question is, you know, what is what is the prediction to come here? And it's, it's just change is just going to continue. So we're going to continue to see that. So, um, again, they just have to be aware. They have to know. And something when it comes to e-commerce sellers that I find to be the most predominant area of confusion is when you have someone that has their own website, selling online, but then they're also selling on a marketplace mm -hmm. such as Amazon. The number one thing I hear people say is, oh, well, Kate, doesn't matter. Those sales, you know, Amazon remits that money on their behalf. I don't have to worry about that. Well, that's partially true, but you have to know where those sales are going to make a difference with your business. So if you have inventory in some states sitting in a warehouse in, owned by Amazon, that's your inventory and you're creating nexus and you're maybe creating an obligation, again, depending on the state. Other times, some of your sales might count towards that state's economic threshold. We talked earlier, kind of the typical $100,000 in sales or 200 sale, different orders. Some of those um, marketplace sales can count towards that. So we know that this combination is not going away. I'm sure, Arland, you guys at here at AmericanEagle.com, I imagine you have quite a bit of people that are dealing with the marketplace world. Absolutely. Yeah, expecting a lot of growth in that regards. I think I saw a statistic preparing for this podcast, um, which was that 67% of global e-commerce today is a marketplace transaction. We don't think that's going to go away. And again, you know, sellers just need to know they need to be equipped to handle it. And what scares me the most is just that the longer people wait to tackle this, the longer they're going without getting registered, mm -hmm. without collecting tax, and it could hurt them in the long run if an audit, you know, was to happen. Okay. So with the audit, you know, what do some sales tax professionals anticipate will happen with these tax audits over the next few years? Yes. Great question. Um, again, back to our lunch conversation today, talking about technology and artificial intelligence, right? So we know that technological advances are just continuing. Sure. Can't stop them. Can't stop. It's going to happen. Think of your first flip phone. I don't oh, even know. You're, you're... I might have been too young for that first flip phone <laughs> Oh, to no, I'm dating myself. 
Brian, you, you please tell me you had a flip phone or two, right? Um, I, I think I had a bag phone back in the day. Oh, a bag phone. <laughs> oh, that's the best. That is the best. So yeah, we know technology is going to continue, um, you know, to keep coming. And so you can expect sales tax audit departments to also sure. get smart, right? They're, they're, that's not going to not happen to them. Probably a little slower pace maybe than sure. private businesses. So um, good story about that. I had a recent customer that knew his sales to Texas had grown. Wasn't based there. The company was based elsewhere. And so he went ahead and just got registered. Within a few weeks, he gets a letter from Texas's Department of Revenue Tax Department. And they say, hey, where's our money? We think you owe us $150,000 since 2014. Oh, no. Yeah, he's like, Kate, I don't know what to do. What What's going on? Why Why would they? What, 2014? And so we kind of went through some questions together and found out he has had an employee there mm. since 2014. So again, technology, sales tax department, payroll department, you know, certainly there's some connections going on there. So, so again, just businesses are going to continue to have to learn and be aware of all these changes. Kentucky, January 1st, they just started taxing 30-something new services. So you just have to know what it is that you sell. Great um, recent headline story is Uber and the state of Georgia. So Uber has a line, apparently, um, called the Safe Rider Fee. And it's a separate fee that I guess you can see, or at this point in time you could, whenever this was happening. I don't know all the details, but... Um, separately stated fee that apparently covers things like insurance and driver vehicle background checks. And Uber said that in the state of Georgia, that service was exempt, not taxable. And Georgia came back and said, no, it, it is. is. It's bundled with the rest of these things. And I think the uh, number somewhere in the $8.9 million range that Georgia is asking for Uber to recoup. So again, big company. Big drama story, but certainly, you know, small, mid-sized businesses will also be affected by these types of things. Right. Yeah, that's a it's a pretty hefty lawsuit to have to go through. Not saying that Uber, you know, is a small company by any means, but I think anybody, any company looking at an eight point nine million dollar lawsuit isn't going to be too happy that they might not have been compliant with what they're doing, exactly. which is why we have this podcast happening today. So exactly. we know how to get there. Here we are. Um, I know we've talked a lot about the U.S. here, but I want to get Brian's perspective on the global aspect of tax and maybe starting with some similarities between the U.S. and international rules and diving a little bit deeper into that. Yeah, sure. And Kate brought up a few different things that, that, that have a ton of similarities. And the thing that stood out to me is change. So I, like I said, I've been in this business for 10 plus years and it's evolved probably five, six, seven times since I started the international e-commerce business. So change is definitely a huge similarity when it comes to domestic sales tax and international value-added tax, international goods and services tax. So the similarities with the tax is there. Um, there's also an understanding of goods. So we talk about taxability of products here in the United States. When we take that and transition that globally, then we talk about harmonization of a product catalog. What does a customs clearance agent want to look for to be able to identify those goods? So the similarities of understanding the products are there. Two different types of processes, 
but understanding the goods, understanding what that product looks like and describing it to the appropriate people. There's some similarities there. And when we get into compliance, Kate brought up Amazon. That's huge. We ultimately need to understand, do you have products stored in a destination country? If so, you have an obligation. What are you selling into those destination countries ultimately can change where you have an obligation. So the similarity of having a compliance obligation is there. Some rules change. Some, all countries are different. Uh, but the similarities of having those compliance needs are definitely in place globally. No, that's that's an excellent point. And I think maybe we can kind of talk a little bit about, you know, those differences internationally. I know that there's something called, and correct me if I'm wrong, a harmonized tariff code that goes on in the EU internationally. <clears throat> I'm sure there's rules around it. You got to have it right. You, if you have it wrong, something happens. I think we kind of... Sure want to speak here a little bit about what, what does the impact look like if that is incorrect and what could that look like for your business? Okay. So the main reason, and Europe has made this change as of March 1st of this year, safety of their residents, mm -hmm. understanding what's actually entering into their country. So in the past, you would be able to put a vague description on your commercial documentation or on the label and then it would say cosmetics. It would say electronics. That is going away. They made that notification to say, okay, now you need to describe the goods. And Kate brought up another point with plastic. It's not just describe it. What is it made of? Where was it manufactured? What is it used for? Those things are in place, again, for safety and for that customs clearance agent to understand, is it even allowed to enter our country? You can't, you can't sell bubble gum into Singapore. Mm -hmm. You can't sell ballpoint pens into Nigeria. So there's nuances within those descriptions that say, yes, it's allowed. Here's the duty or tariff rate. Or no, it's not allowed based on our rules of whether it be plastic, whether it be some of those other bubble gum type scenarios. Sure. Countries want to protect their industries. They also want to protect their residents. That's great to know. And I think, you know, that's that's a certain level of strictness that we might not see here in the States. So I guess what that leads into is maybe my next question here is, yes, we want that public safety, that consumer safety for tax. But, you know, what are some other reasons that we're starting to see more and more countries start to get stricter and stricter around compliance, whether it's different rules or whatever it might be? Yeah. So I'll touch on one more thing with HS classifications, then I'll move into the compliance piece. So you'll hear a lot more products being delayed at customs or even returned. So a U.S. merchant will need to either, they're probably going to be impacted by the delay in losing a customer internationally, or they're impacted by having to pay to get that product returned back mm -hmm. to their U.S. warehouse. So that's going to be a big change that people were starting to see customers come to us. They want to blame it on the carrier. The carrier doesn't know what's in that box. Sure. The carrier knows it has to move a box. So it's up to the U.S. merchant to actually spell out what's in it. And here's the code that identifies with it. Now, that'll move me into the compliance piece that you just asked about. The big part of compliance, countries have lost out on millions and millions of dollars of tax revenue. Think about digital goods. How are they policing that? How would they even know? Right that these 
consumers in that country are actually buying something from a U.S. company. These countries have put a de minimis or a threshold value at zero. They could ultimately, and I've seen it with customers, go back to Kate's example again, where you get an invoice from a destination country saying, you owe us X amount of dollars because we think you've been doing business in our country for 10 years. Here's the tax implication because you haven't been registered. So now it's up to that U.S. merchant to show that, okay, here's what I've been selling and how I've been selling it. So one, it's it's definitely about a revenue generator. Two, back to the HS classification, if it's physical goods, safety and protecting their own industries. Oh, that's that's great. I think what really kind of interested me was this invoicing that you mentioned. Can you dive a little bit deeper into that? Yeah. So think about this, that that money. It's always about the money in my in my opinion. But so now think of a country. Now they want to be prepared for what that actual business entity in that country is going to be filing at the end of the month or at the end of the quarter. These countries are now requiring, whether it be live data communication with that country or post communication, some of these countries are saying, unless you have an electronic signature from us, then you can invoice that business entity within that country. Think about a $50,000 invoice. Now this country of Mexico will have identified that this business entity will be filing import tax for $50,000 and then offsetting it with their sales tax. So the notification pre and post is where a lot of these countries are getting into electronic invoicing, electronic communication, and live data streams to communicate with them first. So they're prepared for what that tax should be. That's a very interesting thing. And I think, you know, we're just so accustomed to it living in the United States. We don't see it. Taxes just applied everywhere. We're not really taking these precautions to certify that there's going to be tax in a different country. But it seems like it'll be more and more relevant that we might see it in the United States. In your opinion and in Kate, your opinion as well, do you think this is something that we'll see the United States to start to adopt this e-invoicing system that you just mentioned? Uh, they're already having conversations on it. And here's where it started. Business to government, transition to business to business internationally. It's going to move into a business to consumer type role, depending on the destination country. The U.S. is ultimately going to follow and adopt some sort of communication in that aspect. I don't know the details yet, but it's the way of controlling what they're going to be collecting with regard to tax, value-added tax, or goods and services tax. That communication needs to be there. Yeah, and I think it goes back to just my comment earlier in our discussion about digital technology, the flip phone, the <laughs> where we are today. But, you know, they're just going to get better at this. So certainly the more they can advance, the sooner they're going to want their money and know what's coming for sure. Well, I think that is a very good point to end on. Quite the bomb drop by Brian right there <laughs> with already having it in talks. Um, Brian, Kate, you both were amazing, provided a lot of great information for our audiences. So I just wanted to personally thank both of you for coming on the show and just chatting it up with me for a few minutes here. 
Well, thank you, Arlen, for having us. I'm so glad I was able to be here in person and maybe uh, next time around, Brian, we'll get you here in person too. And we'll, we'll try to find a way to end on a really positive note. <laughs> <laughs> maybe we'll say all taxes are going away, right? We'll just wouldn't tell, that be great? We'll just tell all kinds of lies wouldn't, on this podcast. Wouldn't that be great? Wonderful. But here at AmericanEagle.com Lessons for Tomorrow, we are a factual podcast. And that's why we ended on that note from Brian. Um, I just wanted to thank everybody for tuning into the future by listening to the Lessons for Tomorrow podcast. For more information about the topics discussed today, please check out the description of this episode. If you want us to cover a topic or submit feedback, please email us at lessonsfortomorrow at americaneagle.com. Be sure to follow this podcast wherever you listen to them to stay up to date with us. While you're at it, give us a good rating, share with your friends and family for the future, and don't forget to follow us on social media. This episode is brought to you by AmericanEagle.com Studios. Thank you for listening.